everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 101 what? of the show. Yes. We broke our promise. We have enough episodes for every Dalmatian to have their very own. Or this could be like a class, you know, Make Ours Marvel 101. Oh, sweet. Yes. Why is that called 101? I think it's first year, first class. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Not every college does it that way, but that's, I think, the way it's supposed to be intended. Well, I know we all promised you that we were going to retire after 100, but we decided to retire after 200. So, yeah, so you're going to have to put up with us for another 100 episodes at least. At least. Gosh. Gosh. But, um, but yeah, we are here to finish out um, July of 19. 65 and probably get into some August as well because we have abandoned completely the idea that the end of episodes are going to line up with the end of <laughs> weeks or months or anything. So it was, it was a fun for our OCD while it lasted, but it's impossible to maintain pretty much. Yeah. And we've gotten some positive responses on the increased coverage each episode. So mm-hmm. that's good. We actually have had about some fivers and uh, we're aiming for an average of four each episode. You know, what's really dumb though is we decided to do this after Giant Man and the Human Torch are done. But hey. <laughs> so we gave them some really good do. Now, and yeah, now we've decided yeah. to not do that anymore. <laughs> now we're going to speed up now that they're gone. <laughs> oh, well. That just occurred to me right now. It's like, why haven't we been doing this the whole time? Oh, well. But we are starting in July 8th. We've already done several books from July 8th. We're going to wrap up the last two, which the first of which is The Avengers 20. And you've got this, Mike? No, no. I believe no. you do. I do. You know, someday someone's going to write it and go, Mike got this wrong, and you're actually all staggered in the wrong direction. And that's going to bother me immensely, but uh, I'm pretty sure out. you do. Because I think I, I did the last Earth Mightiest. We'll just have to scrap all the episodes we've already published at that point uh-huh. and yep. redo them. Redo them. Right. Mirror Universe. Start over. You know, probably just scrap the whole show. Yeah. Over. Yeah. I, that's <laughs> what I would do. Always start from the beginning when you make one mistake. Right. <laughs> Well, it's like, okay, it's like the people who, and and much love to Spidey Rewind, not faulting you, just different perspective. The people who do chronological podcasts. Mm -hmm. When another story is released that's earlier in the chronology. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, you can't. It's not possible. That's why I don't even like read or watch things that way because it would just drive me crazy. Order of release is almost always preferable. That's the only way that works for me. Plus, I just like the idea of experiencing things the way the world did. Right. There are some things where the release was like jacked up and you can't do it, like Firefly and The Prisoner. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, I prefer order of release. And it bothers me that I can't do The Prisoner in the order of release. Yeah, Firefly. like early Star Trek, you could get away with watching production order and it would probably look better and make more sense. But, but or- per- per- release order works on that. I mean, it's fine. It does yeah, mostly, but they, right now. they do have like a that one episode that kind of goes to an old uniform all of a sudden out of nowhere, right? But uh, it still works. That's how I like to watch it too. But yeah. Anyway, well, the Avengers twenty is entitled "Vengeance Is Ours," and the Wham type script is by Stan Lee. The Pow type penciling by Don Heck. The Zowie type inking by Wallace Wood and the rather nice lettering by Artie Simic. So that's, that's, that's a thing. And a very horrifying splash page. Well, let's see if we can recap our entire previous issue in only 30 words. The powerful swordsman wanted to join the Avengers, 
but was rejected because of his questionable past. Hence, he trapped Captain America, expecting to force the others to accept him until Captain America jumps off the uh, basically pirate's plank where Mm -hmm. the swordsman had him cornered. And so the Avengers immediately go into action. The... um, the Quicksilver grabs a an aerial antenna and starts running around in circles, waving around the antenna to cause an upbrush of air. Um, Archer, Archer, Hawkeye shoots an arrow at Captain America's bonds to free his hands. Qu- uh, Scarlet Witch casts a hex that releases all the rivets in the construction site where Captain America is falling. Um, so that the girder falls into place below him. He lands with a tup on the girder and he is safe and ready to go. Uh, they throw his shield up to him and Captain America is back in action. Swordsman is duly impressed. So he begins swinging his sword around and around and around and around. Um, not entirely sure why he's swinging his sword around and around and around and around. Because he's up on the thing and they're down on the other thing, I guess. <laughs> They caught up to him. I don't know. But they're kind of laughing at him. And Quicksilver runs up and throws a girder in his way. And um, anyway, long story tolerable, they beat the swordsman. And the swordsman fades into apparent nothingness right in front of their eyes. Like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, I guess we're going to go and Hawkeye's going to insult Cap some and that's going to be great. So without another word, Captain America turns on his heel and heads for the Avengers headquarters, followed by the others, none of them noticing the evil pair of eyes that have watched the entire incident because their owner is half a world away. The Mandarin has been watching these events. Yes, from out of nowhere, or more specifically out of China, the Mandarin has teleported swordsmen away from the Avengers to his lair for seemingly the express purpose of souping up the swordsman's sword and giving him like Mandarin buttons on his sword to shoot different like beams and lasers and stuff. Meanwhile, inside the New York mansion of millionaire Tony Stark, which serves as headquarters for the mighty Avengers, Hawkeye's loud mouth is really berating Captain America. Uh, Scarlet Witch tries to jump in to uh, stop the fighting, but Captain America's like, you know, leave me alone. Hawkeye's like, hey, I got powers better than anybody. Quicksilver's like, yeah, your arrow is nothing against my speed. So Hawkeye's like, fine, shoots an arrow. Quicksilver runs forward, and the page a day calendar that Hawkeye was running, uh, was aiming at, Quicksilver runs forward and pulls down the page before the arrow hits it. His sister congratulates him. Hawkeye's like, yeah, whatever. What does one race prove? Um, back in the Mandarin's hideout, uh, he shows the swordsman all the really cool things his swords can do that he can use to take down um, the Avengers. And the Mandarin uses a uh, some sort of image transmitter to send an image of Iron Man to the Avengers, say, yo, swordsman's actually pretty chill, I know that he didn't really hit it off with you, but I sent him and I can vouch for him and y'all should totally let him on the team. And Captain America's like, right on Iron Man. And Hawkeye's like, Psh, what? We are not going to let him on the team. Captain America pulls rank and Hawkeye begrudgingly allows Swordsman's return. So when Mandarin teleports Swordsman back to Avengers HQ, they let Swordsman on the team. Now Swordsman's job is to put a gadget in the 
the Avengers headquarters that will let the Mandarin blow it up. So he does. He sets it up. He also takes a shine to Scarlet Witch because she's the only woman in the book. And so all the guys like her. Um, That's realistic, though. Yeah. To make a long story <laughs> tolerable, uh, Swordsman <laughs> actually settles in pretty well with the Avengers until they find him skulking around the equipment one night. And he's actually skulking around the equipment to remove the explosive device because he has taken a shine to Scarlet Witch and doesn't want to hurt her. It's not super altruistic of him. It's mostly his hormones talking, but he's trying to do the right thing if for the wrong reasons. They find him in an inopportune moment. They attack him and um, with the hexes from the Scarlet Witch and a small fire that blazes up, Swordsman gets away. And Mandarin's like, oh my gosh, I'll never work with another partner again. Stupid swordsman. I want to kill him too. And then he promptly forgets about the swordsman and they never talk to each other again in the rest of Marvel history. <laughs> Are you sure about that? That's no, an awfully, but... awfully big claim. <laughs> Not positive, but it feels right. Yeah, it's probably right. That actually kind of threw me for a loop that he was in here at all. So uh, didn't see that coming, I guess. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, let's talk about the art first because we don't do that often. And man, Don Heck sure is like gelling with these kooky quartet guys. Yeah, I think the art is fantastic in this issue. He really does well with this and they have some really great personal moments. Mm -hmm. um, he does a great snicker. Yeah. Like when you're zoomed in on a couple of people who are sort of like laughing at what's going on, mm -hmm. it always looks really great. Yeah, I really wasn't digging the old lineup under Don Heck, but this new one is like just working great. I don't know if he's just had more time or knows how to write event draw Avengers now, or if he just likes these characters better, but it's looking pretty good. Um, I did notice he forgot to put the stripes on caps back this entire issue. Just mm. a minor, minor nitpick. That's okay. Sometimes that happens. Hawkeye is a real nitwit in this. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of We've in character before, for him right now, Especially right? the Iron Man commentary episode about how a lot of Hawkeye's personality traits were attributed to, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark in the Iron Man film. And you see a lot mm -hmm. of that here. You see the uh, joking about Cap being older and such. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this is the first time that's happened, but I noticed it here. Well, he certainly still thinks he's the best guy and he should be the leader and doesn't seem to have any respect for tenure or, you know, people putting in their time first. Right. He just wants to take over. Quicksilver did that a little Johnny bit. Come lately. Why does he think he's so cool? Quicksilver did that a little bit initially, but he seems to have tapered off of it. Versus Hawkeye, who continues to act like a moron, I guess. Quicksilver mentions his desire to lead in this issue, which I think is the first time he's actually said that out loud. Oh, really? I don't know. I thought he said that when he first showed up, but I don't remember exactly. He doesn't do it in the same way Hawkeye does. No, no, he doesn't. He's 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 less frequent about it and more less, subdued. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the Mandarin for a second. All right. So his plan is to get swordsmen on the Avengers just in case Iron Man ever rejoins later, mm -hmm. which seems like far reaching and hypothetical. Yeah. And then at some point he's like, "Never mind. I don't care about waiting for Iron Man. Let's just kill the Avengers. That'd be a cool little bee under my bonnet or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the expression should be. So that was kind of interesting. Um, that said, in a way, like this might be my favorite Mandarin story just because the other ones we've read haven't really resonated well with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not much of a Mandarin story. He's sort of just behind the scenes a little bit, but it's not the same old, like, you know, 
attacking his base, him, him, him uh, capturing Iron Man only for Iron Man to cleverly free himself and then escape. And then the Mandarin's like, I'll get you next time. You know, we didn't get that again. Right. So he says that about swordsmen, but it doesn't really seem to resonate in the same way. Mainly because <laughs> we don't care as much about Mandarin's and swordsmen's uh, rivalry. Swordsman is a, a special kind of idiot, isn't he? Because, like, I feel like if he just would have said, I'd like to join the Avengers and cooperated, they probably maybe would have let him. If he just knew how to be, like, a better human. Yeah, but he's like, no, I'm going to blackmail you into letting me join you because somehow that's a good way to function on a team, to be on a team that you've blackmailed your way into. Like, that's going to work in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we see, like, when he when they get tricked into letting him join, he actually gels with them pretty well. So it's kind of a shame that he didn't just figure that out to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Now Hawkeye makes the point on page 10 mm-hmm. um, to Quicksilver because he and Quicksilver have a little race. If you just take away your crummy speed, what else do you have? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, the whole take away your one gimmick and what do you have left? <laughs> Maybe that's not the argument Hawkeye should be making. Yeah, and why does he have to take away his speed? What's wrong with one gimmick that's really awesome? Right, that's that's your one power. So Yeah, sounds great. Um, here's an example of why maybe if you're a superhero team, you should reveal your secret identities to each other. Yeah. When Iron Man shows up and says, I'm Iron Man, there's no mm. way to prove it. Right. Like, Because the Mandarin wouldn't know that Tony Stark's under there, so Cap could have said, take your helmet off or something. I had a couple thoughts on that scene. Mm-hmm. Um what they really should have put in the script or in an editor's note or something is Iron Man has used tech like this before mm-hmm. to project his image mm-hmm. and talk to people. That's true. So that, yeah. Yeah. That adds to the believability. Captain America would believe this to be realistic. It reminds oh. me of what was that cartoon young justice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Every time they entered, I don't know what it was called. That tunnel they lived in on the beach. Yeah. Every time they teleported in, it would say like, Batman six five three or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You know, so like you always so, do somebody who's entry because it announced them. Yeah, but they also had some sort of authorization code that it scanned their DNA or whatever it was doing to make that number. Mm-hmm. And here it's just like as long as you can project yourself in, I guess it's okay. No need to have an Avengers membership authorization or anything. Also, he says that he's fighting the Titanium Man. So why oh. aren't his friends in the Avengers watching him fight the Titanium Man? Does he say that in here? I thought on page 13, I thought he said that. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, because that kind of ties us to the same time period. But Captain America says it. I don't get it. He's supposed to be battling the Titanium Man in Europe oh, right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, you'd think they'd be like rooting for him and all. Since, Although it's sort of just like a grudge match that presumably isn't to the death, but who knows? Maybe it was supposed to be to the death. I don't know. To the maybe, pride. Maybe Avengers had better things to do than care about Cold War shenanigans or something. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't think the Mandarin ever again gives toothless about the swordsman. I could be wrong, but I don't. I've read a lot of swordsmen, and I don't think he and the Mandarin ever have another thing. We're confirmed that they are now sleeping in this weird bunker, or at least swordsman is. Mm hmm. Um, and yeah, this is like, you know, the swordman kind of, swordsman kind of ending on a, I don't know if heroic's the right word. Like you said, it's probably more about his testosterone, but like, uh, at least he tried to do the right thing, sort of. Right. In the end. Um, and honestly, his membership here is kind of a thing. They're going to, you know, eventually once an Avenger, always an Avenger is going to become a thing. And the swordsman is always going to be part of that. Ooh, that's interesting. Cause you know, back in the day when websites were more fun, 
and people would dedicate them to like teams or individual people. I used to love like reading Avengers websites and like who joined when. Does this technically when he joins like does he get credit for being a member with this issue or Yeah, he gets credit for being a member here. Yeah, so under false pretenses, that's kind of cool. How often does that happen, I wonder? Not often. And it's a, it's a little bit regrettable that his loyalty to the team is rooted in the, you know, hormonal reaction to seeing Wanda, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still there'll be lots of little editors boxes saying see Avengers 20. Yeah. So we have a new member then that lasted half an issue. Interesting. Oh, you're right. We we could count that as so how many how many how many Avengers have there been so far? Well, there's been Hulk, Wasp, Giant Man, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and now Swordsman's 10, right? We're at an even 10 now. And by the way, that's probably the last time I'll be able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never be able to keep track of this again. We should be writing this down. But anyway. Who's our our next new Avenger? Uh, I think an old Avenger comes back first, right? Doesn't Hank Pym come back? Yeah, some old Avengers back first. I'm not sure uh, who another new one is. Hmm. Vision? Can't be Vision. That's Black Panther? I, I think Black Panther before Vision, but only like five minutes before. And that's like the 70s, isn't it? Late 60s. So it seems like there should be someone else, but maybe there's not. I think for a while it's just like Goliath and these guys, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think know. so too. I think this team outlasts the original team by quite a bit. I believe Thor is back by the time Vision comes around because I remember they initiate vision by making him fight thor which is just bonkers and weird but anyway (laughs) in order to be an avenger you have to beat up thor gulp Uh, in order to be avenger you have to do whatever particular thing we choose for this particular issue if you can't beat up thor then you're just not avengers material (laughs) the most powerful member of our team right uh okay so does that cover that one i think that covers that one and we're not done with the month right see now i have to pause and make sure no we're not no we are after spider-man now Spider-Man and his amazing number 29. Scorpion. Yeah, his amazing scorpion. Burr, Never burr. step on a scorpion. Hey, that's a song, right? Mm-hmm, maybe. Never step on... Oh, that's a card. Uh, it's writing and editing by Stan Lee, plotting and drawing by Steve Ditko, lettering and loafing by Sam Rosen. Um, there is no recap to this because this isn't a continuation. It's a fresh new story, right? Pretty much. Basically. Except for okay. some plots. Disclaimer, I haven't read this since like um, August of ni- 2009, I think. So I have to <laughs> – it's been a while since we've recorded. So I we've got had some recording delays. <laughs> um, Peter's out shopping for new clothes, but he has no money. Meanwhile, we cut to the Scorpion who somehow convinced the prison or the doctors in the prison that he would die if he wasn't allowed to wear his Scorpion outfit. Once they put it on him, he escapes. Durr. Um, uh, 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 uh. Ned Leeds is back, and Betty loves it, and Peter kind of hates it. Meanwhile, while he's hating it, a cop shows up and tells J. Jonah Jameson that the Scorpion has escaped, uh, and he's been threatening your life the entire time he was in jail. And J. Jonah Jameson's like, me? Why me? I don't know him. And then internally he's thinking, I don't want anybody to know that I helped had a hand in creating him, and he's probably coming here to kill me. Um Peter, of course, kind of can pick this up, though, like as as the more uh, J. Jonah Jameson protests that he has no idea why the Scorpion's going to kill him. Peter's like, yeah, he's lying. He knows something. And this is probably real. So I guess I better, you know, become Spider-Man and try and help him out, even though I don't like him. So he swings around town looking for the Scorpion. But 
while he's doing that, the scorpion's actually already at the planet. So basically, he swings away from the scorpion on accident. Uh, the scorpion gets into the daily bugle. Did I say planet? Sorry. The bugle. This is a <laughs> Superman comic. But anyway, gets into the bugle, starts attacking J. Jonah Jameson, who's running around. And, oh, no, please don't kill me. He's like, you've ruined my life. Um, around this time, though, Spider-Man's like, wait a minute. Maybe this entire time he was where I started. I better go back. And he zips in just in time through the window, and they get into a big old fight between uh, or in front of J. Jonah Jameson, Betty, and Ned. Ned makes a stupid point of like giving him pointers while they're fighting, like um, you got to stop the scorpion, and he's like, "Thanks, that's really helpful." And watch out, you almost you almost got Betty with that, you know, filing cabinet. Thanks, that's really helpful. So basically, yeah, Ned is just not ingratiating himself with Spider-Man slash Peter Parker, um, and Spider-Man's getting thrown around a lot, which isn't helping. They finally take the fight outside, out the window, at which point J. Jonah Jameson finds his bravery again and says, good riddance to both of you. You should be arrested, and I hate you both. Um, and then he spins it to where he's the hero. He chased them away, and uh, you know all these photographers are around and taking pictures, and he's taking all the credit. Um, but then they kind of remind him, he might come back. If Spider-Man loses, he might come back. And then that makes him gulp. Because that wouldn't be good for him, because he knows deep down that Spider-Man's the only thing keeping him alive. So anyway, we cut to some of those like Ditko-esque uh, water tower type scenes where they're fighting. Um, Spider-Man creates like, he calls them yo-yos, but it's kind of like a bola with his web and wraps it around Scorpion's legs. And then kick they, Scorpion tries to tackle him, which is a bad move because that knocks him off the building. At which point Spider-Man pretty much just plays swing with him which Scorpion can't stand because, you know, if he falls, he dies, and that makes him scared. Spider-Man's, of course, not scared because he swings all the time. This is great. So then he dumps them both in the water and uses, like, the rest of his webbing to sort of explode all over uh, the Scorpion, and that puts him in a big net, and he kind of just hauls them up like fish and leaves them on the dock for the police, goes back to the Daily Planet, and suffers... Bugle. I'm sorry, Daily Bugle, and suffers <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson's, you know, smugness... Um, then he goes home, finds out from his aunt May that Betty suffered a anxiety attack, I guess, or something like that. She fainted. She had the vapors from all that fighting. Mm -hmm. So he calls her house and Ned leads answers. Cause I'm sorry, Betty's not available right now. She's resting. Can I take a message? Oh, so that really annoys him while that's happening. Uh, aunt May's putting like a glass away in a cupboard and suddenly oh, clutches her head. And falls over like she just had a mini heart attack or something and drops the glass. When Peter looks to, goes to investigate, she's like, oh, I'm fine. Nothing happened to me. I just accidentally dropped a glass and I'm on the floor here picking it up. And Peter's like, okay, as long as you're good. And walks away and Aunt May's like, I can't tell him that, you know, I almost just died right now because that would stress him out. The end. It would totally stress him out because you know, Aunt yeah. May's his best girl. That would stress me out too. I don't want Aunt May to die. Luckily, we know that never happens, so it's okay. She has never died. She's never died. Still. Um, the fun, uh, the opening box was fun. Um, it is Academy Awards time again, or it recently was. When I was reading this, it was Academy Awards time, so that was fun. Because it says, when Academy Award time rolls around, leave us not forget. And then it has cuts. Oh, whoops, I missed that arrow. Yeah. Um, boy, they just let these bad guys escape easy, don't they? Yeah, and he says he was faking and pretending to be crazy, mm -hmm. but later he's going to actually be crazy. So maybe he unless was he's faking. faking then too, or he just thinks he's faking, but he's not. 
Oh, he thinks he's pretending to be crazy, but he actually is. He is kind of a little crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like we we didn't see him out of his costume last time he appeared, right? Um, not once he put it on. He never took it off. So, like, what's his deal with his being mad at J. Jonah Jameson? Because this isn't just a suit, right? It's somehow ruined his life, or is it just a suit he can take on and off? Okay, so that gets into a little bit about his psychosis later, because oh. when he fights Ms. Marvel way down the road, his whole thing is that he thinks he's a scorpion forever. Mm-hmm. And she, like, pulls off his mask. She's like, no, you're a dude. And he's like, no, I'm the scorpion. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't think he can take off his costume. So I never under, really understood that. Even, you know, back in the day, like, I knew that J. Jonah Jameson was, like, responsible for creating him. But creating him looks like he just puts on an outfit. So is it really that scarring? Or- I, I have never thought about that question before, but you're right. Take off the scorpion outfit and put on some jeans? Yeah. But is that true? Or is, like, the tail, like, permanently affixed to him or something or that I don't know about? Because the rhino well, so- can't take his crap off, right? Right, Rhino cannot. Rhino is grafted into his costume. They deal with that directly. Mm-hmm. But I think Scorpion can totally take his costume off. I know Spider-Man rips his tail off on more than one occasion. Yeah, but there's always the stump there. So that's why I was always wondering if like that's permanently grafted to him or what. But I guess they didn't answer that question. So I don't know. Someone write in because I bet you someone out there knows. Or I could just Google it, but that's no fun. Just write. Be easier. Page three, the first panel seeds a couple of plot points for later. Jonah mentions the new reports about the cat burglar mm. and robberies of scientific equipment. Okay. So those are both seeding, which is an unusual writing choice for this era. You normally write what you need for the story at hand, and you only plot stuff if like the resolution to your current story is going to come in later. But they're talking about separate stories. So obviously Ned Leeds is the Green Goblin, I just realized. Oh, yeah. Because, because like as soon as the Green Goblin leaves this issue or leaves the book, suddenly Ned Leeds is back from Europe, quotes. Oh. Oh, yeah. He's totally the Green Goblin. I never put that together before. It won't be the last time that a Green Goblin fake goes to Europe. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Like, I I initially had no problem with Ned Leeds because he just seemed, like, you know, happy and nice and stuff. I know we're supposed to not like him for Peter's sake, but now I kind of don't like him. Why is that? I don't know. I didn't like all the chastising he was doing to Spider-Man, and I didn't, I don't know. He just seems like he's being a little creep with Betty a little bit, but maybe that's because we don't know how much they've been talking to each other. Yeah, he feel the way he strikes me is he strikes me as the guy who's definitely romantically invested in Betty, mm-hmm. and feels like he has reason to believe that she returns the feeling, mm-hmm. and so he's being protective of her because she obviously can fall apart relatively easily with with stress. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe he's being too much, but I don't know. Cause she does faint on the couch later. So that's true. I don't know if there's any sentences in here that would indicate that he's a Glenn Talbot, but mm-hmm. like, uh, I guess on Peter's behalf, I'm starting to not like him. Plus I know his future, but anyway, yeah, we did have nine Nedless months, which are now over. Yay. When is he going to not be blonde anymore? I think he's blonde forever. Isn't he? Is he? I thought he was brown haired when I read him, but I don't know. Maybe he turns red after a while. I think he is red later. Uh, what else? It what mentions else? Peter does not know that Jameson helped create the Scorpion. And I'm no. honestly not sure if he even ever learns that. Yeah, he just basically can tell that J. Jonah Jameson is super nervous. Right. He doesn't know why. 
I'm sure the scorpion isn't interested in me. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, yeah, he is. Yeah, I could tell. Um, it's weird. Like, this is the kind of parts where it's, like, weird to me that Jay, that Jonah hates Spider-Man so much. Because you know that he also knows that Spider-Man is going to try and do the right thing and save his butt. So why mm-hmm. do you hate him so much? You know? I don't know. I can't get around it. Because he's jealous of him, remember? Oh, that. that's right. He's jealous of a guy who's so good. So he can't be right. good. He has to be bad. So I will fabricate him being bad, and therefore he will be bad, even though he's good. Okay. A Ditko Spider-Man story does not feel complete without a random crowd scene hating him, which we get on page six. Um, yep. And also on page six, the scorpion uses a spring-loaded tail. Uh-huh. That was kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still like... We told that we talked about this last Scorpion appearance. Like I'm not. This is like one of my his maybe weakest, least interesting villain designs for me. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem like a Scorpion, and I'm not sure a springy tail helps with that. It's a little more like a monkey. It does seem a bit much for a Scorpion. Mm-hmm. I did like that Spider-Man goes out to find the Scorpion. And it's like, wait a second. If the Scorpion's after Jameson, why am I out here? I should be watching Jameson. I just that felt like <laughs> believable, like uh-huh. human. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, does he so, say out loud in front of people like any reason why he hates J. Jonah Jameson? The Scorpion? Uh, no, he just says there's nowhere to run, basically. Yeah, Jonah's so. always stressed that he's going to let slip something, but he hasn't yet. Yeah, and then Spider-Man interrupts him. Right. Now, I thought I thought page 10 was comedy gold. Uh-huh. Like, you've yeah. got these two panels, one on top of the other, where Ned is holding Betty. They're not identical, but they're almost identical. And he says, okay, I'll look after Betty Brandt. You concentrate on your fight. Watch out for that tail of his. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, whatever. He goes out to fight the scorpion. Uh And then on the panel below, crash. I told you to watch out for his tail. And then I'll shut up is upside (laughs) down. That's hilarious. It's great. Nothing worse than the rival boyfriend being right. Right. I hate when the person I hate is right. Or be in a peanut gallery because really, like, stop trying to tell Spider-Man how to be Spider-Man. That's a little weird. But um, this is like the second time that Spider-Man has gotten to a big old fist fight in the Daily Bugle, huh? With the vulture he did, too. Yeah. Yeah, he likes to tear that place up. Yeah. But I'll tell you what the MVP is for this issue. Okay. The visuals on JJJ. Yeah. Jameson's faces are fantastic throughout this issue. Ditko is pretty good at... J. Jonah Jameson. That's for sure. I love the ulp on page 13. Oh, yes. Like he's so happy that he's be he's being considered the hero in this situation. And then someone's like, hey, I'll probably come back and attack Jameson if Spider-Man loses. <laughs> I didn't he's sucking on his cigar like a thumb. Now he has Prince to root for the Robin Hood cartoon. Yeah. But yeah, that was cool. Second appearance of Scorpion. Yeah, we... um. We end with some some putting some nails into the whole Betty Brant relationship coffin on oh, really? page 20. Is this like the end for them? It's getting pretty close. On page 20, when he tries to call and check on Betty, uh-huh. Ned is there. And he's just yep. like, oh, I guess tell her I called. Mm-hmm. And he's like reduced to a fifth wheel. Yeah. Well, we knew it wasn't going to last. And boy, did it not even like have a lot of highlights. There was just like pretty much two. Right. But... That's his first love, I guess, right? Fictionally? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And it started out strong, uh-huh. but it didn't stay strong for very long. I remember issue 13 was always like, was already like, oh, this is kind of starting to go a little weird. Boy, you know what? The issue where he 
gets in a fight with Vulture in the Daily Bugle is the first time that they're like kind of romantical. And that was like one of the highlight relationship episodes. And now he's fighting the Scorpion in the Daily Bugle and it's ending their relationship. You are Bookends. so right. Bookends. He was the one who kept Betty company under the, uh, mm-hmm. and now Ned is. Yep. Oh, that's rich. Parallel. Um, I know it's kind of a cliche that Aunt May's sick all the time, but this hit me because, you know, it's like the first time we've got a heart attack Aunt May thing. Aunt May being sick all the time is one of those things that is felt more than it's real. Mm -hmm. I think just the fact that Ditko did it more than once in his run Mm -hmm. makes it stick out in people's mind as one of those things that happens all the time. Yeah, she's been to the hospital already in our coverage, right? Mm -hmm. But not like this. I don't know. This just seemed more powerful, especially because she's hiding it, which is no bueno. Right. Don't do that, Aunt May. Um, yeah. I liked this this ending. It was pretty uh, dramatic. So it makes you wonder, since we've seeded several subplots, what do a cat burglar, scientific equipment thefts, and a fainting Aunt May have in common? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> is it the cat? No. Yeah. Is that what he's called? I honestly wasn't looking forward to this issue, but it is better than I remembered. I do kind of tune out of the fight sequences when I'm reading it. Yeah, they're not that exciting. I, I don't think the Scorpion is like the best villain that we've had in Spider-Man, that's for sure. I think I like him because he was the last issue of the Ditko books that I had. Mm-hmm. And he was there whenever I came back to Spider-Man in 1990. So like the uh, the Spider-Man Powerless story from 341 to 343, he's in that and he's got like, you know the stinger on his tail and a kind of a revamped costume. And he looks really cool. Yeah. Is that Todd McFarlane? Eric Larson by that point. Oh, Eric Larson. Yeah. 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 I think he gets more dangerous. He just doesn't seem so cool in his first couple appearances, but can't win them all. And they sure went a lot in this book anyway. So it's okay. But that does bring us to the end of July. Oh no. Does that mean we have to make decisions? We have to make decisions, Mike. Oh, and there was more books in this month. There were, and we've had a recording break. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want me to run them down? Yeah. Okay. So we have the Sergeant Fury Annual, where they're in Korea and Fury gets a commissioned officer promotion. Yes. We have the X-Men 13, where they actually fight the juggernaut for real this time, and mm-hmm. it's not just story time. Mm-hmm. We have Journey into Mystery 120, where Thor gets his uh, his hammer back. He tries to go and figure out what's going on with his personal life after um, the trial of the gods and Jane is missing and it ends with the absorbing man coming back. And then in the backup, it's called Set Sail. So he and the Warriors 3 are all ready to go on their boat. And then we have Fantastic Four Annual 3 with the wedding. Tales to Astonish 72 where Namor beats the seaweed creature, then goes after the diamonds. Also, Krang is totally being an incel to Lady Dorma. Mm-hmm. You won't marry me? Then I'll put you in a cage. <laughs> Just like real life. Right. Also, the Hulk is dealing with the leader, and that's the one that I think ends with, um, he thinks he's going to change back into Bruce Banner, but he's being hit by ad- uh, humanoids. So he went right. going to change. Right, right, right. Sergeant Fury 22 is the one where uh, Fury and Bull McGivney teamed up against the Nazis. Ooh, yeah. 
Fantastic Four 43 was the ending to the big, long, frightful four thing brainwashing story. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 137 um, had Hydra going after Nick Fury as basically a, a, a one-man vendetta. That's the one where he... Uh, um, it's not the one where he goes to the, the barber shop, but I think, oh yeah, 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 they're launching the big bomb. And so Fury's trying to, the, he, the, it's not the one where they're going after Fury, the, they've got this big, like, huge bomb that they're threatening the world with. And so it's finally like, you know, Hydra against the world and S.H.I.E.L.D. has to stop him. And over in Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange goes into the Ancient One's mind to try to find out what is an eternity. And I think Tales of Suspense is the last one from previous issues tells of suspense has iron man fight of the titanium man. And, um, I think happy almost dies at the end. Yes. Yeah. That's the one where he reveals that he knows iron man's secret identity and almost yes. dies. Yes. And then Captain America, um, that whole last world war two story wraps up. The doctor mm-hmm. gives his nope. life because his sister gets it's part two of it. It doesn't wrap up. Oh, well, that's a spoiler. Yes. The doctor. They're, they're going to uh, get put in a missile and shot to London, basically. Right. And he finally realizes the Nazis don't love him as much as he thought they did. Right. The doctor does. Right. Not Cap. Cap already knew that. Yeah. Cap knows what's up with Nazis. Mm-hmm. And then the Avengers with the Swordsman and Amazing Spider-Man 29 with the uh, Scorpion. Dude, what if there was a Nazi out there that was a huge Captain America fan? That'd be funny. I think he would drown in the irony. <laughs> well, he just had a scrapbook, secret scrapbook he kept under his bed or something. Anyway. Um, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories. I know which one I don't like the most. I'm not sure about my favorite, though. Okay. Don't like the most, and not even necessarily because it's a bad story, although I think it is. Fantastic Four Annual Number 3 is a huge letdown um, because it's such a Marvel milestone in terms of, you know, when they when we flash back, there's always certain stories Marvel flashes back to to touch tone, you know, where you are in this character's life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those stories. This You see this all the time. Like every superhero in the church watching them kiss. But that's all you ever see. They never actually recap this stupid, stupid story. Um, and I'm probably going to get letters like, oh, when I was eight, I loved this. They're all, you know, every hero and villain in the same book, it's the greatest. But no, it was just one big fight. And it was so much fighty fight, fight, fight that like there's nothing to even ground it or make it dramatic. And the bad guys were all brainwashed, so like they didn't even have motivation to be there. And then it's all wrapped up with the Watcher, which is always our favorite thing around here. Um, mm, yeah. So like, I would have rather just had an issue where there was no fighting and it was all about the wedding. Have twelve pages of Reed being nervous—that would have been amazing, you know. But oh well, they decided to go the opposite direction and stuff as much Marvel universe as they could into this thing, and it was just a big disappointment because I don't think I've ever read it before. I was looking forward to it, kind of. Well, it is one of those stories that people like write down as like one of the big cornerstone stories of this era. Mm-hmm. But when you get actually into it, it, there's just there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah, like you summarized it perfectly. Everybody fights the end. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like what are we going to do about this? Doctor Doom twists a lot of people's brains, so they attack the wedding. And then he sends them off back to their lives without any memory of it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fantastic Four themselves are not at their best place because they're all like, we have to protect Sue because of the wedding. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's cool to have a big annual that like recognizes the spread of the Marvel Universe. 
Yeah. Like, it's neat that they did that. I'm sure they were all very excited about how many people they were stuffing into this issue, but. Right. And that is a bonus to this, or, uh, you know, a positive to the story. It's just mm-hmm. not a very good story to have a positive in. I mean, it was cool to see Cap and Iron Man in the same panel again for five seconds. That kind of thing. Because we don't get that anymore since they're not on the same team anymore. But Right. But that was about it. And I think the contrived, I think it's a, a, a just, yeah, it was a really contrived, here's here's a watcher thing you can use ending. But Well, in a month that has a lot of half-decent stories, uh-huh. this is also the one that I'm least positive on. Okay, cool. So we agree. Almost on, on every Fantastic. story this month is is pretty half decent. I mean, there there's mm-hmm. nothing in here that I come away from saying, eh, except for that annual. I will say when you said that X Men is X Men versus Juggernaut, I literally cannot remember how that fight went. So I guess that didn't really stick out either. I guess they won, uh, but I don't remember how or why or anything. I remember the one before better because it was bonkers. Well, basically, okay, so they call the Human Torch in for help. Oh, gosh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. And he helps them get the, uh, the That's Juggernaut, like, in a standstill so they can get the helmet off. Right. And then Xavier puts a whammy on uh, Juggernaut. Okay. And a yeah. whammy on the Torch so he forgets helping them. Yeah. But all the X-Men got hurt in the fight except for Jean, so she nursemaids everybody at the end. Well, it's funny, as much as we made fun of that build-up issue, that actually sticks out in my mind more than the actual fight. So maybe they did their job. <laughs> maybe they really, maybe that did make stick with me somehow. Anyway, um, I'm going to make up for my picking Fantastic Four Annual as my least favorite and pick Fantastic Four 43 as my favorite. That's what I had predicted for you. I already put it in the box. <laughs> awesome. It's the final of however many parts of this really cool, another uh, Frightful Four storyline, and they keep knocking those out of the park for some reason somehow mm-hmm. and it was really enjoyable getting the thing back and getting them all running away medusa escaping all that was fun i liked it i really liked that one too and i almost put it mm-hmm. but i was like he's probably gonna put that i should maybe try to do something different okay so i went for journey into mystery 120 i thought about that one because i was just saying i like you know stories that aren't always fighting too and this is actually one that's like that. Well, I'm kind of a sucker for the moments in Thor's life where he comes back to his mortal life uh-huh. and realizes that he's left it in shambles. Yeah. So I I know that we weren't too fond of him getting his hammer back in five seconds. No. But like trying to find Jane, she's gone. His office is shuttered. The Avengers are different. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with the absorbing man coming back as a surprise reveal. Those were all pretty hot. And I like the I like the backup story that we're getting into with this whole um, quest that they're about to go on with the ship and everything. This is this is a fun little journey in the backup stories. So yeah, yeah I'm you know Sarah's mentioned y'all are in a really cool era of Thor. This is a really cool era of Thor, especially since this we, we've just come off a really long lodestone storyline, Nornstone, Nornstone storyline. That's, you know, between the contest of God champions and his first round with absorbing man and then going to Vietnam or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was kind of nice to get like uh, back to a foundation and breathe for five seconds before. Now he's going to fight the absorbing man again. Right. So that's a good pick. Yeah, I would go with that, but I'm going to pick fantastic. Four anyway. All right. Well, those are our top and bottom picks for July of 1965 which is our cue to dive into august of 1965 speaking of absorbing man oh yeah 
Thor's next. Yay. Oh, wait, this is me. Yeah, it's you. Okay. I mean, you pick Thor, so you can summarize it. Right, 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 right. Right, right, right. Right, 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 right. Okay. Journey into Mystery 121. Um, this issue is entitled The Power, The Passion, The Pride of all the foes he has ever battled. None came closer to defeating the mighty Thunder God than the he who is called the Absorbing Man. And now on his return to New York, Thor finds himself menaced once again. He's like, this is happening when I left. Now I'm back and he's here again. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the one deadly enemy whose power can match his very own. Another towering triumph for Stan Lee Ryder. Another fabulous feat for Jack Kirby Illustrator. Another amazing achievement for Vince Coletta Delineator. Another day, another dollar for Artie Simic Letter. <laughs> okay. So um, Thor and Absorbed Man are fighting. Absorbed Man has absorbed the bricks around him. Um, they fight and he th- uh, Absorbed Man gets his chain wrapped around Thor's hammer and actually wrenches it out of his hands, mm-hmm. which allows him to hold it for just a split second, long enough to absorb it and become Uru, but he also can't hold the hammer. Um, well, no, actually, he is holding it up. Yeah. But it's trying to come back to Thor because it has to come back to him because of the enchantment. So Absorb Man's like, fine. He throws it at Thor. Uh, Thor has to dodge it because it's being thrown with such force and it flies into the building behind him. So they keep fighting. The hammer eventually comes back to Thor's hand. Loki is sitting up in um, wherever it is that he's supposed to be slaving away, but he's not working. He's watching everything on his crystal ball. And then Balder the Brave shows up and comes to see Ularic that, you know, Loki's supposed to be working for. Loki's like, uh, he's he's running errands. Um, I'm just going to sit here and work on work, work on these potions. Okay. Do you know, do you know how to mix a, a potion? <laughs> Paul was like, fine, whatever. I hate looking at you. I'm leaving. So meanwhile, Thor is marching through the streets. The absorbing man has absorbed so much concrete power that he is actually super tall now. He is a veritable colossus of stone and iron. And so giant absorbing man punches Thor. Um, he grabs a construction site, absorbs the iron, throws the girders at Thor, sheds his power, turns back into a human, hits Thor with his ball and chain. Uh, meanwhile, Jane is watching the entire thing from a bulletproof window not far from the battle. And she's like, oh, Thor's fighting a deadly enemy. And a hooded figure behind her says, stand away from the window, Jane. No one's allowed to see you until the time is ripe. She's like, why don't you explain all this to me? He's like, I can't, I can't. So um, he leaves. She's like, take me with you. No, you're trapped here. Um, Loki checks in on Ularic, the warlock he's supposed to be working for. Warlock is still under a magic sleep in captivity below. So Loki's like, cool. Where is that last Nornstone? Um, no, he's not looking for the last Nornstone. He's just hatching a plot. But we were reminded that there's one Nornstone sitting on the ground and that we're going to be coming back to that in the story pretty soon. Meanwhile, Thor and Absorb Man are still fighting. Absorb Man grabs some glass. Um, he grabs some safe vault. None of this works. And until finally, Absorb Man's like, you know, I'm stronger than Thor, or at least as strong as Thor. 
If I hit him with my wrecking ball, it knocks him down. I'm the absorbing man. I'm pretty cool. And that's where we're going to leave the story. I'm winning. Yeah. My kitties are running around in the background. So that's the story. That's the sound back there. He basically beats Thor because Thor stops to help a baby. Oh, that's right. Thor does stop to help a baby. So he turns his back and that makes him get wonked on the head by by his big My baby, come back. Somebody grab that kid. Yeah. There's just a time to thrust him aside. Thor's Here, like, take him. He'll be safe now. What would Superman and then he gets do? Popped in the head. Yeah. So, cool issue, though. Moral of the story: Don't stop to help the baby, and you'll win your fight. Yeah, everybody knows that. Um, Absorbing man. He's a cool dude. I still think his powers work differently than I thought, but it's cool. I like it. Well, I think they've done the whole touching thing now. Yeah, but he still absorbs like Thor's strength by being around him and stuff. Right, which I, I don't, don't think of it just being substances, right? Yeah, I always thought it was just he turns to bricks and stuff, but I guess he could he could touch Superman and be Superman. And he can pick up the Uru because he becomes Uru. Nothing about being worthy is just that he is physically strong enough to hold up the metal. Now, we've had these conversations many a times, and I'm getting to where I don't even remember what we've read and not read, but have we read a part, something that says you have to be worthy to pick it up, or does he have to be strong? Um all directly only mentions our strength. Mm-hmm. There's been one or two hints that there might be something else magical involved, but other than the inscription on the uh, hammer, nothing has been said that you have to be worthy to pick up the hammer. Cause there was those backup stories, like at least three or four where he was trying to be worthy to pick up the hammer, but it also seemed like that involved him just getting stronger. Yeah. I think it was just him growing up until he was able to do it. I don't think it was a worthy thing. It's just mm-hmm. until I can, yeah. So in retconning this, then you could argue that because he is the hammer, he can lift it. Although it looks like he can barely lift it. Like he's not going to succeed in lifting it much longer. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it comes back to Thor anyway. Right. Well, he says, what's going on? What's happening to this nutty hammer? And Thor says, despite all your strength, my mallet must always return to me. So that is see, what, that's what his problem is. That, I think, is not real either because I've seen him just put it down. So Yeah. That's inconsistent. That's inconsistent. It would have been cooler if that panel had like Thor holding his hand out like he wanted it back instead of it just coming at him. But that's all right. Right. We know how it works now, kind of, sort of, maybe, but I'm not sure. Who needs rules anyway? Who needs rules? Um, Balder is a good guy. Uh, He's just going to randomly check on Loki to make sure that Loki is not hassling Thor. Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, Loki's not so, hassling Thor, so he leaves. So this little cloud bubble of Loki's so trusting as the innocent Balder, he will never think to doubt my word. You are so wrong, Loki. He is the only god outside of Thor that always knows you're up to no good. Like, mm-hmm. even Odin is blind to that. Right. Balder has interfered in Loki's plans multiple times. And will continue to do so. And will continue to do so. So, Loki, you are kind of arrogant with the whole opinion on Balder there. And then as he leaves, Loki randomly insults him for no reason. Yeah. But Loki has freed himself from his prison, I guess. Well, because he, I mean, he still has to be there and just pretend to be in prison, but the guy he's working for is asleep. Yep. Just like Odin. Okay. Here, I'm going to put you on the spot because I don't know the answer. Is this our first interior splash page ever? Oh, the splash page. Because it of, seems so um, shocking. The Absorbed Man being giant? It's glorious. It's pretty great, but it's not our first. It's not our first? Okay. If nothing else, I remember the Daredevil in Daredevil issue two when he was blind and dangling from that helicopter. There was that really great page of him flying oh, over New York. Wow, yeah. You know why this one strikes me is because I'm pretty sure they use this as one of his examples in that official handbook of the Marvel Universe. 
Oh yeah. Every every character entry has like a new drawing for the entry, but then they'll do like random comic panels to show how cool they are. Mm-hmm. I think this was one of them, and it's pretty awesome. So the absorbed man's power must act really quickly if he's able to turn to lead as the bullet hits him. Yeah, I guess so. It does seem like it's very quick because also Thor tricks him into turning the glass. So it's like I guess he's just on all the time or forgets to turn himself off or something. Because it depend if he touches something bad, he turns to the bad thing too. Oh, like it? Yeah, like if he has it on, it's just unconscious. If he has it on and you push him into Play-Doh, he's in trouble. Oh, it's subconscious. But then again, when he's holding his ball and chain, he's not that material right now. So I guess he has some control over it. Like you assume he can touch money and not turn to paper. Right. So I guess it's one of those things. Like like some of your you know body processes, most of the time you're controlling it. But when you're not thinking about it, it could be in a default state. It's like when the invisible. I think, I think most of our processes are the other way around. They they happen involuntarily unless you voluntarily stop like, them. But like when Invisible Girl saw the footage of Hulk and turned invisible on accident. Remember that? Right. <laughs> so instinctive. Uh, I'm not I sure about the absorbed man changing size though. See, here's the part where I think. Well, I just knew he could do it. I guess, but yeah, I don't know when or I guess if the the more he absorbs, the bigger he can get. Like if he's doesn't really make sense because he's not absorbing the substance of it. He's just yeah. I don't the... know. I don't know. You're right, but it did. There did seem to be some inference that like the longer he holds something, the more powerful he gets with it. I don't know. It's kind of inconsistent, I guess. A bit. See, the more steel I absorb, the stronger I become. So it's like he doesn't just turn to steel and has a blanket steel strength. He touches it and then he touches another one and then he touches another one and then he runs down the block, slapping all the steel and like just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Somehow it like compounds on itself. I guess. I guess that's why he gets bigger. Also, he says at one point, I'm going to absorb your strength on top of my own normal power. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think he does. I'm going to crank that up to him not understanding his own powers, which is totally believable. Cause why would he, he has no idea how he even got them at this point. Yeah. Which by the way, does he ever stop and self reflect? Like where did this come from? How did this happen to me? Like he hasn't done that yet. Okay. I guess he's not much for brains. But, uh, I do not remember what is oh, going on with Jade. Thank God. Because I was just going to say, one thing about podcasting with you is you've read everything, so you know everything, and I mm-hmm. don't know this either. And so I told, I was going to tell you, don't tell me, because I'm very interested, I don't, but no, I don't I, know. I remember something else that happens with Jane a little bit down the road, but it's too early for that. So this has to be something different, and I just don't remember what it is. I think it's her dad. That's just my gut feeling. And I don't know why. I don't know why I think that. You know, there was that one time that my dad made me stay in the apartment, and he wore this mask. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. Like, Dad, I don't want to play this game again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Okay. Page twelve. I kind of love that this Norn stone is just left out there in dangling plot thread land for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's till Golem finds it, or. Something? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's my birthday present. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since the Trial of the Gods, the Dornstones have been part of the story and were at least led to believe that they have a planned fate in store for at least this one. Mm-hmm. I sure hope so, because they keep talking about it. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, so he turns him into glass. I would have loved to see Thor just shatter him at that point, but that would have actually, mm-hmm. that actually he says, I can't kill the human. So he's still worried about that, even though this guy's, I guess he is human, but he sure ain't just a human. He's killable, so we can't kill him. Yeah, so that's 
let's think about that a second. Okay, so he has declared that he will never kill humans. Now that, of course, is just the plot device so that Thor doesn't go around killing people because we don't want that, kids. But like from a story point of view, is he saying that because he's a god and therefore he shouldn't go around snapping necks by flicking them with his finger? And if that's what he's saying, then isn't Absorbing Man like not really applicable at this point because he can barely even beat him? So wouldn't it be perfectly fine for him to kill him? It's a good uh, question. Uh, um, uh, I does, took it as like a. Mm-hmm. I took it as like like I am a god. These are mortals. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't slay them. That's a good one. But at the same time, he slays. He has made him his foe, and he slayed like frost giants and stuff. Are they immortal? I assumed he killed things on Asgard all the time, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't. He just doesn't kill anything that's mortal. He's mortal. It seems weird. Well, see, he eats fruit. Anyway, it is yeah, weird. There's, it's there's just that. Where do you draw the line between life you should protect and life you don't? I feel like the absorbing man, if I were Thor and if I did kill sometimes, I think he's he can be on the kill list because he's just too dang dangerous and powerful. And even if you somehow knock him unconscious, or apparently if you scatter his atoms into space, he still reforms and comes back. So right. if there was a way to destroy him, I probably would. But... That's just me. Well, his slogan is anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> Which is what he's trying to do. And Thor gets distracted by a baby, so Absorbed Man is like, ha ha! So yeah. what this means. You this never save the baby. This is uh, outside of Mr. Hyde, who they really tried to play off as Thor's greatest foe. This is definitely Thor's greatest foe so far. So far. I mean, he's like really not been beat. I guess he was beat once, but took a long time. So... Yeah. Well, shall we sail into the bad storm? Yes, let's do that. All the right. Maelstrom. Maelstrom. Yeah, Maelstrom. Hoping to postpone the day of Ragnarok, the end of the world when even the gods shall perish, Thor leads his mighty crew of Argonauts, I hate that, into the <laughs> dread sea of fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> Searching for the hidden forces of evil who threaten immortal Asgard. A saga steeped in grandeur by Stan Lee writer and Jack Kirby illustrator, delineated by Vince Coletta, lettered by Artie Simek. They are sailing and they are approaching the pillars of Utgard, which are these two scary pillars that are standing up. But there's really bad winds. They don't want to, like, you know, crash into the pillars. So all the Vikings are, you know, pulling on their rigging and upping the ut sails and all the other gunsel stuff and um, trying to keep the, sto- uh, the storm afloat. Meanwhile, Loki's like, hey, we should go the other direction and get out of this storm. And I was like, never. We are Vikings. We shall fly forward. And Loki starts getting people on his side. We have to turn back, Thor. We have to turn back. Thor's like, give me that tiller. I'll put my own shoulder into it. And so they're sailing forward. Um, They're getting out the oars to try to push against the waters. And finally, Balder is like, okay, um, I'm going to get this horn. Um for a reason that none of us will know until the next issue. Mm-hmm. It's like just a little further and it'll be done. We don't know what he's going to do with the horn, but you know, Baldur's horny. So we're going to be done with the issue for now. These ore guys need some inspiration. I'm going to play a little jazz. Oh yeah. Do, 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 mm-hmm. do, do, Um, as much as I love Kirby on like drawing Captain America, I've decided after reading all the stuff we've read that his favorite thing, at least as far as Marvel is concerned is Thor because he has, looks like he has so much fun. Drawing the store stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Like yeah, this, like I'll this, agree. this first page, another splash page, by the way, that's not the main first page. So the second page, I should say two splash pages back to back. Yeah. The second splash page is glorious. And it's like, makes me think like, this must be the precursor to all his like apocalypse new God stuff too. Cause mm-hmm. when it came time, high for fantasy him, stuff. Yeah. When it came time for him designing to do his little DC playground, he pretty much just did his space version of Thor. It's kind of cool. Although seeing it, I don't think Kirby actually knows anything about how a ship works. No, I don't know if he knows anything about... I think he remembers seeing it in movies when he was a kid. I'm not sure he knows much about Vikings and stuff either, or doesn't care, to be accurate, because they're all kind of like sci-fi Vikings, but it looks cool. I've always loved the word maelstrom. Mm -hmm. Like, it means bad storm, and like, the male... You know, most people who've studied language know that Mal means bad, like Maleficent, mm-hmm. not a good person. She's a bad person. Um, oh, you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> well, okay, misunderstood. Yeah. Misunderstood, right? Malunderstood. <laughs> and then somehow the R and the O get switched for Storm and Strum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Maelstrom is bad storm. And I, I don't know. I just kind of like that word. Now, why do you hate the word Argonauts? Okay. Okay. So the Argonauts uh-huh. are people who either were from Argos or sailing to Argos. Okay. And they were led by Jason. Mm-hmm. And it's a Greek story. Whoops. And they're only called the Argonauts because they're related to the island of Argos. But since they go sailing, there's like a surface level similarity with this story. So we're going to call these guys Thor and his Argonauts. They have nothing in common with Jason the Argonauts, and it's not even the same language. Yeah. Bothers me. That's pretty not good. There's no skeletons or anything to fight. No. No, there are no skeletons. Yet. Yet. That's what the horn's going to summon. They say that these pillars of Utgard are a giant dragon sticking his feet into the air, and I kind of love the image of a giant dragon just like relaxing into the surface (laughs) of the water, sticking his feet up Uh to grab any passing food to munch on. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a fun picture. I also like the idea of superstitious people just making that up. Though in this case, most of the stuff that they think of is true. So it probably is yeah. true. Should we ask our oh, as yeah. guardian advisor what he thinks? Yep, yep. Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, is our Asgardian advisor, being a worshiper of the Norse gods and a podcaster. Uh, he has written in to tell us there seems to be even less in this issue than the last. (laughs) I think he means connection with actual lore. Uh. Even the story is all simply griping about the storm. It looks like you could tell who Loki picked for the crew since they seem to be the ones wanting to turn back, although none of them look like they're actually shirking their duty. Hmm. One bit of Norse information here is the word Utgard, which means outside, similar to Utangard, which means outside the enclosure. It's typically used when talking about a family or other group. In this case, since the Asgardians have never been here, so this is outside of their experience, and at least certainly outside of Asgard, the term Utgard for these pillars applies perfectly. Um, the Utgard dragon they refer to could be the Midgard serpent, but I doubt it. It's more likely something that Stan and Jack made up as another enemy to fight. Well, it sounds legit. They're good at sounding legit. I love the idea of them just being like, you know, the edges of the map where it says here, there be dragons mm-hmm. and like these pillars, they're over here where there should be dragons. So these, these beyond the frontier pillars, let's just call them outside pillars, Utgard pillars. Utgard. Yeah. I kind of love that. Do you read these with advertisements? I do. 
because we're starting to get t-shirt advertisements and I don't normally focus on the advertisements on this show or anything, but now that Marvel's around, they're uh, hawking their wares and gosh, I want all these shirts. I do too. And I've actually gone online occasionally and searched for like 1965 Marvel t-shirt. Uh-huh. I've never found one, but I realized that if I did, it would be a 40-year-old worn t-shirt. I know, right? And it would not be a good thing to buy. But they're only a dollar fifty, or you could get the whole set for fifteen bucks. And, yeah, and yeah. and yeah, they're the pictures look awesome. Like these are actually really cool shirts. But no, they are. I actually really like the X Men shirt. Yeah, the X Men one. I like the Sergeant Fury one. How cool would that be to have a Sergeant Fury shirt? Honestly, all of these look. Yeah, great. Avengers think, looks cool. Daredevil looks cool. The Hulk I'm, is not a bad pose. It's just not my yeah, favorite. Yeah, the Hulk's all right. Spider Man's all right. Doctor Strange is pretty cool. I'd probably skip the Western one because we don't really read that anyway. But um, if you liked it, but if you liked it, yeah, you could get Two Gun Kid and Kid Colt and somebody else all on the same T-shirt. That's pretty neat. How come Target Although has a- Sergeant Fury has the correct roster? It feels like an old school Sergeant Fury. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good yeah, shirts. Fantastic Four is pretty cool too. Jeez, but now you go to Target and find shirts, you know, of Marvel, but. They should just redo these, maybe. The Daredevil one's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I think I'll just I'll mail a dollar fifty and see what happens. See what happens. Just send them six quarters. Yeah. Hey, I want a shirt. What's the worst that happens? I lose a dollar fifty. Well, oh, shall boy. we talk about some uh, Namor and Hulk? I guess, but now I have to summarize again. Okay, Tales of Suspense seventy three. There's two titles, so we'll stick with the first one. Is Submariner by Force of Arms. Script, Smiling Stanley Art. Amiable Adam Austin. Inks, Valiant Vince Coletta. And lettering, Angelic Artie Semek. So Namer is still on the quest for Neptune's Trident. This is round three. And he came across these weird diamond things that like magically suck his soul. And what we didn't see, and who is now here on the splash page, is a dude who is the demon of the diamonds. And he's like this bearded troll guy with the pointy diamond hat and a sword. And he's going to kill Submariner. But Submariner's like, no, I'm actually Submariner. So you could suck all the strength you want. I've got more. And he dodges the sword and he gives the guy two punches and then three and then four and then five. But then like he still starts feeling the effects of the diamonds again because punching that guy exhausted him. Um... Um, 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 then what happens? Oh. Some eels show up. He summons eels. I keep forgetting he has Aquaman powers. So, yeah, he like summons the eels and they show up and they shock him or shock the, you know, Diamond King Demon Troll guy. And, um, and Krang is, uh, is that his name? Krang? Mm -hmm. Krang is watching all this on a monitor. As he's been doing the entire story, somehow magically, we don't know, but he's got this monitor that he can just monitor Submariner all the time. Anyway, the eels knock out the king or the diamond king, which I guess turns the the diamonds, um, you know, soul sucking powers off. Um, Krang says that the eels are absorbing their power. Ah, there we go. Um, the eels, I think, tell him about Dorma's predicament, even though he was told last issue about the predicament. Also, so now he has a predicament. Should he keep going after the? tried it or should he uh to save all his people or should he just go back and save one person dorma who is sometimes traitorous sometimes loving from uh a bad fate and um um um, he doesn't make the decision yet because it cuts to the people the uh uh 
Atlanteans are not happy because guess what? When Krang like publicly says that he's going to take their beloved Dorma and throw her into the worst place in the world, they don't like it. So they're rushing the castle. It's a really bad move on his part. And they make it in um, trying to get through his defenses. Some of them don't, but they continue to make it in. Um, uh, 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 and then, yeah, we don't know. I guess Krang gets away. Oh, no, he doesn't get away. They're, like, right there on top of him, but we cut to Submariner deciding to go and save Dorma, and uh, meanwhile, Fathom's below. Those weird faceless ones are going to kill her, and Namor's on his way, so we don't know what happens to Krang or to Namor or to Dorma. The end. Yeah, everything is uh, everything is up for grabs at the end there. It's all in the crux of mm-hmm. the drama. Yeah. So... This is kind of reminding me of Doctor Strange a little bit for some reason. I can see that. The art's um, different, but... Well, it, it's it's still fun in the whole video game quest plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where things start to go a little bit beyond that. And yeah. we've had two or three chapters of that. And now it's like, okay, now you have a choice. Are you going to continue to play the video games? Or are you going to go save your beloved? Although yeah. she's not even his beloved. She loves him, but he doesn't seem to give two things about her until now. Right. So we have to talk about that decision-making. But yeah, I think part of the problem, I don't know if I love these stories because part of the problem is the, uh, the video game quest, the three that he's had so far, aren't that exciting. Mm-hmm. The, the weird octopus thing. And then the, the hairy man thing. And then now this ambiguous King of diamonds. Well, uh, I was wondering about the yeah. diamonds radiating light. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that last chapter, right? Cause you know, diamonds aren't really known for glowing from the inside. Yeah. But these are, after all, demonic diamonds. Yeah, because they're also diamonds don't normally like suck your soul when you're wearing them. So Right. But then where'd this guy come from? That's just such a serial thing to do. The next chapter, all of a sudden there's more information that there wasn't before. He wasn't there before. I guess he was just hiding. I don't know. Yeah, he does just show up. He says a new a new victim whose waning strength shall serve. Yeah. Yeah, he's just there. And Neptune, why are you going through all this? I guess just to prove that the strongest person can Get the trident and lead the people, I guess. But I don't. He's not even going to finish the quest, and so does Neptune. Assume, I mean, there are some things I can't really say here because we don't know what's going to happen next. Um, but like, yeah, I do like how <coughs> Namor excels at trash talk. Oh yeah, Namor's great. Namor is always great or fun to read, and you know they've got his character down for sure. It's the Lord of Atlantis you face. I fight for my throne, for my kingdom, for my birthright. No power shall save that if Neptune himself can stop me. And then he's like, oh, but then once again, I feel it. Ooh, this hurts. Uh, yeah. So Krang is an idiot because, like, he knew one of the reasons he wanted to marry Dorma is because she was a woman or she was uh, uh, popular with the people. Mm-hmm. And so she, he wanted the people on his side. And then she's like, no, I won't marry you. So his idea was, okay, I'm going to torture you in front of the people that love you so much. Weird. Yeah. Back ass words. You know, con- counterproductive. Backfired. It seems like it should have been a no-brainer to, like, you know, be nice to Dorma because everyone mm-hmm. loves Dorma. Yeah. Even he, he knew that. He sent the fair Dorma to the land of the faceless ones. And he said Namor to his do on an impossible quest. Not to mention the whole, you know, taxes everything else oh and there's also been the taxes yeah they're doing a good job of building up the hatred for him which i've liked and we're already having a revolution i guess Mm -hmm. um yeah so okay namer's decision making it i did kind of think myself like i think i would have kept looking for the trident but i don't know he's also a hero and it's pretty much a guaranteed death if he doesn't save her 
Mm-hmm. So, but they have a weird relationship. Now, Namor says, let's see. There's a message from the eels concerning Dorma. She says she's a prisoner of the faceless ones in their kingdom beyond the pale of Atlantis. I had almost forgotten. Mm-hmm. He's just now finding this out. How did he almost forget something? No, they told him last issue. It was just a little bit of the dialogue that I wasn't really sure about. No, some fish last issue told him, and he ignored it. Oh, okay. He's like, he's like forget Dorma. I don't care. I don't care And about then he Dorma. kept going, and then like the eels were like, are you sure you don't care? And he's like, oh, okay, maybe I care a little. She only set me free from prison so I could do this whole quest in the first she place. She also put me in prison, so that's awkward. Well, there's that. Yeah. We'll overlook that part. Yeah. She's the reason for this whole thing to begin with. She probably helped Krang take over my throne somehow. Using her popularity. But this last page is the first time that Namor seems to choose that Dorma is important to him. Yeah. Up until now, she's like just been this thing that's annoying him. Which makes me feel like instead of just another serial cliffhanger at the ending here, we're actually moving the story forward. Like we've left behind the silly format and the story is taking a, diff- a new direction. So oh, I actually kind of dig this one more than the last one or two. This isn't the last Submariner story for this title. It says the end. Oh, it lied. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's more. All right. Well, that's good because it, it left a lot unanswered. So we should keep going. We should. Speaking of keep going, there's another story in here. There is. I don't remember what happens. Hulk. Oh, this is like, okay, so he's in the leader's lair. I guess I could start with the title. Another world, another foe, and the credits are, you'll never forget Stanley's script. You'll never forget Jack Kirby's layouts. You'll never forget Bob Powell's art. You'll never forget Artie Simek's... Eh, let's see now. What did Artie do? Ho, ho. Ignoring the leader's band of humanoids who attack him with strange, staggering stun rays. Whoa, say that again. The Incredible Hulk, strongest living mortal to stride the Earth. See how they said living mortal? Like, not counting Thor, who's immortal, maybe? Um, oh. Hardly feels their attack as he uses all his tremendous willpower to stop himself from changing back to Bruce Banner. For minus the Hulk's strength, the bullet in Banner's brain will instantly destroy him. So, yeah, we left him on the floor getting pummeled by these green uh, automatons, basically, and the leader's lair. Um, and then he, like, passes out, and the leader comes in and goes, Stop! Don't kill him. Bring him to my lab. And he brings him to his lab, um, and he looks him in, and he says, hey, there's this weird bullet in his skull, but I could just dissolve it because I'm the leader and I have cool technology. So he does that, um, and the Hulk wakes up, um, and he's like, oh, the irony, now that I can turn normal, I better not because I need to stay here and be the Hulk forever, I guess, um, because otherwise the leader will know that Bruce Banner is Bruce Banner. Anyway, so then they go through some testing of him like picking things up and withstanding electricity and and uh, 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 you know 100 G's of pressure like the NASA and busting ice holding his breath and he's like no so what did you need leader why did you bring me here come on spill it after all this and he's like okay um, I have this ability to see anywhere in the universe basically with my awesome telescope and I found this guy named the Watcher on the moon and then I followed him around and he went to this planet which i think is his home planet and i want you to i can instantly teleport you there because i'm the leader and i have that invention and i want you to uh get something for me when you're there hook's like okay so he steps into this like cylindrical looking thing and the leader presses a button and it makes a zit noise zit with three t's and it 
transfers him across space and time, and he lands right in front of the Watcher. And the Watcher's like, oh, you're here. And the Hulk's like, I don't want any problems from you. And the Watcher's like, you literally will not get any problems from me. I'm not even talking to you because that would be interference. So just go do what you want to do to my house. So Hulk's like, okay. And he walks around. And then somehow the leader has like mental telepathy connections with the Hulk. And he's like um, telling him where to go. And he's like, that, that thing, that floating yellow sphere, I want you to bring it to me. And the Hulk's like, okay, but why didn't you go through all this trouble getting me? Because you could have just done this. This sphere doesn't look like that big a deal. And when he goes to reach out to grab it, this big, giant, red, lizard, monkey, ape thing punches him. And the leader's like, oh, did I forget to tell you that it's protected by that guy? And that's the end. Or to be continued. So... What? One of the <laughs> <laughs> Not not since the first appearance of Hulk have we had such bonkersness, but this is this is pretty bonkers. And yeah. one of the downsides to doing this podcast mm-hmm. is that the watcher is not nearly as cool to me as he once was. Right? Let's review his last three appearances. Okay. He sent Torch and the thing back to King Arthur to fight Kang. I forgot about that. Yep. He watched the Avengers run into an alien invasion while trying to save the Wasp's life, and he flew away to watch the aliens kill each other after they left Earth. Mm -hmm. He took Reed to his house and let him look around and find something to stop all the bad guys from ruining his wedding. Yep. And I think you and I have agreed none of those were cool. They're definitely against policy and just... Contrived story plots, yeah. So seeing him on the cover here is not as impressive now as I would like it to be. Was he on the cover? What's this cover? He was on the cover. I forget. Well, here's the other thing is that the cover gives away the end of the story. That whole Hulk red guy fight, it's the last page of the story and it's it's the cliffhanger for next issue. I know. To me, that is one of the cardinal sins of comics is putting your last page ending on the cover of your book. Really, that should be the cover for the next issue because now we're all jonesing for this fight. So you see that cover, you'll be like, yeah, this is it. This is where exactly. we're going to fight. Yeah, I agree. You're getting you, The cover for the issue should bring you into the current issue and the ending of that issue should be leaving you wanting more for next time. Mm-hmm. So it cheapens the moment. Um, it maybe ruins a surprise. Also you think that Hulk is going to fight this red guy. And when the red guy finally shows up, it's the end of the story. So that like, you know, can make that moment feel like a lot less than it should feel. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't like it. Um, it's been a long time pet peeve of mine. Well, I know, I think the watcher becomes cooler later, but these early issues are very not cool. Mm-hmm. Although if you think about it, even when he is cool and all he does is show up and never says anything, it's like that's still interfering because everybody's looking at you and commenting on the fact that you've shown up. So mm-hmm. why don't you turn invisible when you watch things? Stop being <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, this issue, this story was just like, wow, this might be my uh, least favorite for the month. We'll see. It's never a good sign when you're already thinking those things as you're reading it. Uh, yeah, it was just bananas. I'm glad they got rid of the bullet, though. On the other hand, it seemed too easy because there's like two to three issues of him worrying about this bullet. And then it's just like, I'll take the bullet out. I have the ability to just melt that bullet. But that's what I don't like about the story is I have the ability to magically do anything because I'm the leader. Um, well, it makes you wonder why they drew that out so much, right? That too. Why do they, they leave that bullet in there for so long? They're just going to go 
bloop, never mind. Yeah. Yeah, and it does it takes away from the Hulk's um being the hero in the story and solving the problem himself, really. Mm-hmm. Not sure how he would do that, but he is Bruce Banner, so you'd think he'd come up with something. Anyway, but all the tech was weird. I didn't like that he has this telescope that and here we were complaining earlier that all the leader ever does is develop automatons, but now I'm complaining the opposite direction and that he's so smart that he's got this bonker, bonkers magic science that is just silliness to me. Um uh, yeah. There's there's a ship following the watcher around. I think the leader's ship is following the watcher around. Uh-huh. We've heard before that the watcher travels as a lightning bolt. Uh-huh. Also, I realize that this does not necessarily have to be our watcher. This oh. could be another watcher. Our watcher could still be on the moon. Yeah. He doesn't say I am Uatu or anything like that. Yeah, we haven't actually heard that name yet, but yeah, right. he doesn't. It's probably our watcher. Probably. Probably they intended to be our watcher at least. Because they start him out on the moon, so that's pretty telling, I guess. Oh, is that on the moon of the start? Okay. They're like, I was looking at the moon with my awesome leader telescope and I found this guy and I decided to follow him around. I didn't write down the page number, but at some point they um they say that the speed of thought is faster than the speed of light. Um instantaneously and indescribably swift through patterns, speeds through the galaxy, invisible, silent, unstoppable until yeah, that was this whole, there's like two pages of them explaining how they can travel across space and time. Well, it's oh. 40 years later, so we actually can measure the speed of thought now. <laughs> the planet I want to send you to is so far distant that even the speed of light cannot reach it in a lifetime. But the speed of thought is virtually without limit. Yeah, that's because the speed of thought feels instantaneous. You think something, it happens. Mm -hmm. But that's also true for light. Light feels instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And we actually do have a ability to measure the speeds of the various processes involved in thought. And the fastest element of your thought processes are impulses that travel of hundreds of miles per hour, which is fast, but it's like sound fast, not light fast. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of the speed of light. Well, thought travel in general is making me sit here going, what does that even mean? Because, okay, you're telling me speed of thought. Are you? Do you mean like if you threw a ball at me, how fast is my reaction? Or how are we measuring? There's no distance in thought, is there? Well, there's like the impulses in your brain transmitting. Okay. So, but that's within your own body. Mm-hmm. Versus you're not like putting that on a track. I don't know. No. It's weird to figure out. Like, how does thought travel, I guess? But, but like, the impulse of pain up from your mm-hmm. finger to your head, okay. that has a certain speed. So your body, your brain's communication to the rest of your body, how fast right. is that? Okay. And those speeds are really, 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 really fast, but light's a lot faster. So to be fair, though, we've never traveled by thought. So however he's doing that, maybe that. But I like how Hulk is just like, sure it is, like... That's a given. Yeah. It's a given. Definitely. Thought is faster than light. Hmm. Or you could mean that he could mean that sarcastically. I don't know. And there's that guy in the next generation who seems to know a lot more about thought. See, there you go. Those guys. The lumpy hand guys. The lumpy hand guys and Will Wheaton um, seem to translate thought to really fast somehow. But Somehow, some way. I don't know. The point is it was weird. And also when you have technology like this, it really opens up two powerful things. Um, two as in T-O-O, like now he can just travel anywhere, the speed of thought, whenever he wants, mm-hmm. light years away. Okay. Why is he even on Earth still? He's the leader. He should have moved on and absorbed more information. 
But anyway. So not a great Hulk story. No, it's kind of – and also, I, I don't know. This just doesn't jive as a whole. I don't know what Hulk's theme or mood should be, but walking around on the Watcher's planet doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't. Putting him on an alien world feels weird mm-hmm. unless he's going to get to f- – well, he is going to get to do a big alien fight next issue, so maybe yeah, that'll feel better. But, but This like, isn't Planet Hulk. No. This is like weird sci-fi Hulk because we don't know what to do with him again. And honestly, we are, we are still doing the same open-ended run of story mm-hmm. that we've been doing since issue 60. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of Hulk just hulking around being a Hulk. And I was thinking about this earlier today for no reason, just because that's what happens. But like, I still don't know who the heck Bruce Banner is. Um, and I remember As that. a person? I, yeah. I remember that being like a goal to look forward to reading these stories. And Bruce mm-hmm. Banner is still... Just a weakness for the Hulk, essentially. Like that's all he is. He's a weak. Right. He's a weakness for the plot. Even right now, Bruce Banner is theoretically driving the Hulk, and we're getting no information on how he feels about that. And you know, one anything. of the biggest things at this era of comics to add drama to a person's life is their love life. Yeah. And there's zero. I mean, Betty is head over heels for him, but we have very little reason for why. That too. Like we we've hardly seen them together. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, they could have spent a whole lot of time together between the six-issue series and the ongoing Astonish series, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen very much in our story. No, they keep trying to throw in these little, like, uh, oh, is Bruce really a communist thing? But it doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Mm-mm. Eh, so whatever. I'm not loving the Hulk yet, still. Want to, not happening yet. Liked him in Avengers, but that's when he gets to play off other people, I guess. I don't know. Right. His own book, they have never really figured out a home run for the Hulk yet. Maybe there isn't one. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That's it, That does bring us to the end of our book. So not the end of the month, but we got four four in, so. Mm Mm-hmm. Yay. Now what? So what what are we going to do next episode? Next episode, we're doing four more. We're going to do Daredevil number 10, where he fights a bunch of animal-themed villains. We got Sergeant Fury doing something. I can't remember. Uh, what is he doing? Oh, he's at Burma. That's all I know. I can't remember, and I read it already, so that's not. There's a, good a sign. nun who helps them do stuff. Oh yeah, and... he saves a nun. That's right. Um, Strange Tales. We've got oh more Nick Fury fighting Hydra, and we've got finally uh, Doctor Strange. I think meeting Eternity. Finally, and we've got Tales of Suspense. The final. Part of Iron Man versus Titanium and the final part of Captain America in Greymore Castle. The final World War II story for Captain America. Where they, he, Bucky, and that girl die in a big explosion in London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So read those if you want to follow along. So you should go find us on our website. Right. MakeOursMarvel.com. Uh, there you can find a contact form. You can send us letters. You can email us directly from your email thingy at makeoursmarvel. No, is it podcast at makeoursmarvel.com? Yep. But so you don't even have to remember that because there's a contact form. Mm-hmm. And we're on the Twitters at makeoursmarvel. We're on the Facebooks. Uh, both Mike and I have Twitters you can follow. Uh, you can fo- You can go to your podcast app and just search Make Ours Marvel. That's the easiest. I think that's where the, everybody finds us. Yes. Just go search Make Ours Marvel on the podcast thing. The, the, I why, mean, would you, why would you do anything different? I mean, is, do you ever go to podcast websites? I think about that all the time. I never do. Only my own. 
Yeah. So it's like, oh, we, I, I do go to see like, um, when, like how far back the episodes go or to look at, see, is this an index show to get a feel for a show I'm not familiar with? I'll go to the website. Yeah, I guess that's true. But mostly you just type in, in a podcast app and it's there and you subscribe, mm-hmm. right? Interesting. But we need those websites or else there's no way to subscribe to them. Yes. The, uh, the feed is housed there. Mm-hmm. So your podcatcher goes and looks for that feed. So if nothing else, that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Mike and I both have Twitters. Mike is at Kaiser the Great. I am at John Reads Comics. I also have two other shows I'm doing, a Image Comics podcast called All the Pouches, and Image Comics podcast. It is on Twitter, at All the Pouches. Also, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast on Twitter, at TFUK podcast. I have a long-neglected Scarlet Witch blog. They need to get back on, like, probably gonna do that for spring break. So it's probably already caught up by the time you're listening to this, but maybe not. Um, that is at Let's Talk Wanda. So go see if I've been on that. If I haven't, yell at me on Twitter. Yeah. And I think that's it. We will be back next time with more Silver Age goodness. And until then, or until Warlord Krang fights the Teen Brigade, make ours marvel. marvel.